You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest preaching for us for our revival services. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Good evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. To be honest, I was, I was tempted to, I didn't turn on, did I? To be honest, I was tempted to uh, run past chapter 2. If you haven't noticed, there are 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians, and we're half done. So we're going to have problems getting through it if that's what you're expecting, and don't expect that. Uh, the intent of my heart is not to give an exposition of the entire book of 1 Corinthians, but my prayer is that the Lord will whet your appetite and help you as you pick up your own Bible and as you pray uh, pray and and seek the Lord and study the Scriptures yourself that that you'll see it uh, in a more clear light. Paul is uh, dealing with a troubled, troubled church. We are living in a day when the church is very, very troubled. There are not a lot of churches that I go to around the country that are like Fellowship Baptist Church. Now, I I certainly don't say that to flatter you, but I do say it to ask you to remain that way. Realize the gifts that God has given you and the blessings of God. I, I think most of you do, maybe all of you do. But it'd be a very easy thing to allow that to slip away from you. Uh, churches in this country are dying. They're dying. My father in law graduated to heaven last December, 83 years old. And uh, he was an uneducated fella. Uh, if he'd ever have had the opportunity to have gotten an education, I don't know what he would have done. His dad died when he was a little boy. He dropped out of school and went to work to help his mother support the rest of the family. And uh, he, he moved off to Cincinnati, Ohio as a young man and uh, worked for several years there in a plant and ran a machine, uh, was a machinist, couldn't read nor write. Uh, and uh, then he came back to Kentucky, uh, and uh, he ran a little garage and uh, was a mechanic until he got beyond the ability to do that work. And he told me a couple of years ago, he and my mother-in-law attend a little church that I was saved in, um, and, and he, he, would, he didn't call me Dwight, he called me White. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, White... He said, I, I, I'm afraid, you know, if something, something doesn't happen, he said, our, our church is not going to make it. And I said, Sam, it's not going to make it. I said, I, I hate to be a pessimist and the bearer of bad news, but I said, you guys are, are within about a half a dozen funeral services of shutting your doors because all of the congregation is 70 plus. Now, that's, that's not just one little church uh, in a little backwoods corner of Kentucky. 
That's many, many, many churches in America. Now, it's one thing to throw up a building and fill it full of people. But it's another thing to have a New Testament church. It's one thing for us to pat ourselves on the back on how good we're doing, but it's another thing to look at our country and see that we're on a toboggan slide ride to hell. Our country is more wicked than we've ever been, and the church that has been called to be salt and light is doing very little salting and very little lighting. So we're, we're studying a book that should remind us of where we are, and it should be something that we can easily draw a parallel uh, uh, between the Corinthians and, and our day. And remember, remember that they are called to be saints. Now they're in the Corinthian society, they're in a corrupt society, and they have been somewhat influenced by that society, but God still calls them saints. Our sainthood does not rest in the good deeds that we've done. Thank God for that. Our sainthood rests in the precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Our righteous standing before God has nothing to do with our church affiliation. It has nothing to do with our abilities or lack of abilities. Our standing before God has to do with our being justified by the blood of Christ through the grace of God. Now, in, in chapter 2, uh, Paul has, has a lot to say in these 16 verses. So let's get right into it. Verse 1 and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Now that word perfect doesn't mean that they're absolutely without problems. It means that they are spiritually mature and whole. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 
But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Listen to this little part of the text. But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, may you and the power of your Holy Spirit address the text tonight in a way, Lord, that we are not able. Lord, settle in upon us, we pray. For your great name's sake, Lord, revive us again. Lord, may we become less and less until we are absolutely nothing that you might become everything. O oh God, deliver us, Lord, from ourselves. Deliver us, Lord, from the call of this world. Deliver us, Lord, from the call of popularity and the praise of men. Deliver us, O oh God, from our own Corinth and the things, Lord, that are constantly clamoring and clawing, Lord, to pull us aside. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on the goal. Help us tonight to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, Lord, that was set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame. Set us right, Lord. Save the lost. Revive your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you went back to Acts, you don't have to turn back there, but if you went back to Acts chapter 17, you would find that Paul was in Athens. And as you Bible students well know, that was the place where he came upon the place called Mars Hill. And he had witnessed a statue there that said to the unknown God. Uh, now, the, uh, the Athenians were people who were uh, much in love with philosophy. They, they loved to hear speakers. They loved to hear people that could be profound and could go on and on and talk about philosophical stuff. Now, I, I don't know as much as I would like to know about philosophy. Uh, I was called a philosopher a couple of years ago. Uh, by a fellow. I was working part-time in Lowe's and I was in the hardware section and a fellow came up to me and he came up, boy, just uh, boisterous and cursing and, and uh, he didn't know me and I didn't know him and, and uh, he was by himself and he kept, he just, man, he just was punching every button I had. Uh, he, he, he kept referring to we. He said, we don't believe in God and we don't believe this and blankety-blank stuff and uh, I mean, I, it made me wonder, do you, do you know, do you know that I uh, am a born-again child of God that represents the kingdom of heaven? I mean, it made me almost feel like he was, you know, coming up to me saying all this stuff is hard. But he didn't know me. And he just kept blathering on for a while, and I was trying to find out what he wanted to get rid of him, to be honest with you. And, and he never would tell me. I don't think he wanted anything. He just wanted to punch my buttons. I think he was just sent there by the enemy, to be honest with you. And, and finally, finally he kept reiterating that he just, he just didn't believe in this God stuff. And uh, I said, you know something, sir? I said, uh, look around you. I said, you see this building we're in? He said, yeah. I said, it's a pretty good size. And he said, it is. 
I said, you think it had a builder? Oh, well, yeah. I said, well, you know, I said, I just believe that if there's a building, there's got to be a builder. I just believe if there's a clock, there has to be a clock maker. And I gave a few illustrations, and he said, oh, you're getting off into philosophy. Now I've got to get out of here. That ain't philosophy. That's Scripture. Now, philosophy for the Athenians was, was a great thing. They loved it. And, and I think a lot of Americans are kind of philosophical. We like to kick things around. I've gone into Sunday school classes where there's more philosophical ideas than there are scriptural answers. I don't like a Sunday school where everybody sits around the table and they say, and I don't care how you do it, that has nothing to do with it, but where everybody stands around, sits around, whatever, and, and a, a few passages are read, and, and, and the leader of the group said, now what do you think about that? Well, what do you think about that? Well, I've got my ideas on that. And everybody throws out their ideas, and at the end of the Sunday school class, nobody has an answer. That's a philosophical way of addressing Scripture. It's not up to human interpretation. It's not for us to say, well, I feel like the Bible says this. Paul had his fill of that in Athens. And in chapter 18 of the book of Acts and verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to where? Corinth. That's where he met Priscilla and Aquila. And so you have to bear that in mind while we're studying these short passages in Corinthians that Paul had just come from Athens. He's just left a group of society that really were caught up in philosophical thinking. And listen, when Paul is talking about I'm not coming with, with great words, it wasn't because he couldn't. Paul was a brain. Paul was a theologian. Paul was a marvelous tool in the hand of God after God arrested him there on the Damascus Road and after God changed him, God saved him, God converted him, Paul was a great vessel in the hand of our Lord. And, and Paul was a magnificent-minded man, but he had, uh, and if you don't believe that, read 1 Corinthians 13. He could get eloquent. Paul could wax eloquent. He's a vessel of God that God could and would and did use sometimes to say some marvelous things. But I think Paul had gotten caught up in that philosophical stuff back there in Athens and, and read the, the, the message there on Mars Hill and how he addressed those people. And it's, it's pretty good. But now he's left out of there. And yeah, there were a couple of converts, but there wasn't enough in Athens to start a church. It was just a, a couple of converts. And he had to leave. And he pretty much left, we could almost say, in defeat. And he leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. And he writes the book of Romans while he's in Corinth. And Romans chapter 1, as I told you yesterday, is a result of Paul living in that society and probably able to look out his window and see all the corruption and he could write it down. And he says, here's what men are without God. Now, Paul is coming into Corinth and he says, you know what? I'm done with that philosophical stuff. I'm not going, now listen, probably every person here, every child of God here, 
If you're very old whatsoever, there's been a place or a point in your life when you tried to intellectually engage with somebody in such a way that you thought you were going to win them over intellectually. Now Paul is addressing that here in chapter 2. There, now God, when he saves us, he doesn't kick our brain into neutral. Don't misunderstand me. God doesn't cause us to just kick it into neutral and we just become spiritual dummies. That's not what I'm saying. But you cannot win this world intellectually. We can engage them in conversation. We can engage them as we work hand in hand with them. We could and should and must witness to them the gospel of Christ Jesus. But salvation, as Jonah learned, is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, I know I'm preaching to Baptists, and we say, well, we all know that. We don't act like we know it. We act like we think it's up to us. You know, it'll lighten your load a great deal tonight if you'll realize that God doesn't have to have any of us to do anything. Now, I get misunderstood a lot of times when I start preaching down this line. A lot of people say, well, you think we ought to sit back and fold our hands and do nothing. No, no, I didn't say that. I don't mean anything of the sort. I just believe that we need to put ourselves in the place where God wants us to be and say, Lord, we're nothings and you're everything. The work of God is not about me. And bless your heart, I love you, but it's not about you either. The work of God and the glory of God is all about God and he's God all by himself. He doesn't have to have any of us. He didn't use anybody when he struck Paul down on the Damascus Road. Now you can argue with God about that. But Paul knew what it was to be arrested by God, convicted by the power of God, and brought to a saving knowledge of Christ by God himself. If God did it for Paul, he can do it again. He doesn't save everybody the way he saved Paul. Now, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about the same experience. He doesn't strike everybody down with a great light at the noonday or midday that's brighter than the noonday sun. He doesn't do us all that way. But it takes the power of God to save us. And Paul knew that, and I think you know that. But Paul says, when I came to you, I came not... Now back in Corinthians 2, with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said, I didn't come impressing you with my speaking ability. Verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you, save what? Christ and Him crucified. Now I want to tell you, church, that'll still work. That will still work. You say, well, I don't know what you mean by that. Paul had observed all the things that were happening in Athens, and he had, I think, had given them some good arguments, and it was all an exercise in futility. And he'd had some time to think about it and to pray about it, and when he got down to Corinth and he saw the corruption there and he saw that the church had began to think like the Corinthians around them and he was burdened and he was grieved in his soul and he said, I don't have anything to give you but Christ and Him crucified. He's enough. He's enough. Your workmates, your family members, they don't need an intellectual argument to win them to Christ. They need Christ lifted up before them. 
They need to see and sense the compassion of Christ and the love of Christ and the power of Christ and the work of Christ that's in your life. I hear, I don't know how it is up here, but down home I hear a lot of people sometimes say about a wayward child. They say, boy, they just need to get in church. I want to tell you, listen, it's the same distance to hell from a church pew as it is off of a bar stool. Going to church doesn't save anybody. Saved people should want to go to church. Nobody ever had to beg me to go to church after the Lord saved me. I wanted to find a place where the people of God met and the, the Word of God was opened up and the Bible was being preached and it was being taught and people were praying and seeking the Lord. Nobody had to pay me to do that, beg me to do that, prod me to do that, poke me to do that. I just wanted to do that. But coming to church does not save a soul. You know that. Being religious doesn't save a soul. And Paul is saying, I've determined since I've left Athens that the only thing I want to bring you is Christ and Him crucified. Now, let, let's read on. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, he's made a declaration in verses 1 and 2, and now he's about to give a demonstration. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I'm heart sick, and I have been for a while, at seeing some Meetings become preaching contests, Pastor. Whether this is right of me or wrong, God will judge. I don't go to many meetings like that anymore. I'm tired of seeing preachers prance around like little batty roosters that are somebody's. Sometimes we give men such glowing introductions. I, I've been in a place or two, I was embarrassed by the introduction. I felt like I ought to sign my own Bible when they got through introducing me. <laughs> and I know better than that because I know a little bit about what's in here and it's not good. When God opens up my heart and shows me what's inside, it's not good, Brother Case. And I'm not saying that we should not honor the servants of God, but not too much. Don't put them on a pedestal and make them something that they're not. Don't make them think that they're infallible. Don't make them think that they can't fall. Remember that the best of men are still only men at best. And, and, and Paul is concerned about this. He said, I... When I came to you, he said, I didn't, try to, I didn't try to impress you with my intellectualism. He said, I didn't come to preach a message so that you would brag on my oratory skills. He said, I have left all of that in Athens. I've had my fill of that. He said, if anything works, if anything's going to work, if it's ever worked, it'll be Christ and Him crucified. Remember what Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, what did he say he'd do? I'll draw all men unto me. Not when I'm lifted up. Not, not when we lift each other up. 
I, I don't know why that we're made like this, but it's a part of our makeup that we, we, we want to find a little group of people that we agree with and we want to do the same thing and believe the same thing and pat each other on the back for being right all the time. And, and, and whether we want to admit it or not, there's not much difference between us when we do that than the Joel Olstein mentality. Because Joel just kind of says, you know, you're okay and I'm okay and we're all okay and we're all going to wind up in heaven and have a good day. And this is your Bible and, you know. <laughs> and he was on the Larry King interview a few years ago and I read the transcript of that. And they asked him, Larry King, Larry King was a Jew. And Larry King said, uh, Joel, I want to ask you something. He said, now, I'm a Jew. And he said, I don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. National television. And he said, I, I want to know. He said, do you, do you think, or you say, you, you, do you believe I can go to heaven not believing that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, now, Larry, we don't like to be judgmental. And off he went. And, and had a great opportunity to graciously and lovingly have presented the gospel to Larry King and said, you know, sir, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, red, yellow, black, or white. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, pretty or ugly. All people must come by Christ. Because Jesus said, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know why? We can easily look and see why some character like that, it's all about this. I don't want to turn anybody off. I don't want to shut any doors. I don't want to turn any faucets off that's got money pouring out of them. But I want to tell you the terrifying thought, there is a judgment day. There's a day when we give an account to God. But now listen, if we are operating the way some of the Corinthian believers were operating and the way that some of the men that Paul had watched were operating, we can be no different than the Joel Osteens of the day right in Baptist churches. Because we try everything other than the gospel. We try gimmicks. We try tricks. We try some ways and means. And listen... It was a glad day for me when I recognized that I do not have to keep the record. All I'm responsible for is just preaching the gospel. That's my responsibility. Preach the gospel. You say, but, but you got to get them saved, preacher. Hey, if it's up to me, friend, we're a bunch of gone goslings, I'm telling you. And if it's up to anybody here, we're damned and doomed. God is able, none of us are, but God in his graciousness has granted us the responsibility of the preaching of the gospel. That's a wonderful thing. And that alone is enough that we preach the gospel. I, I pray that this doesn't come out wrong tonight, but there's a great scarcity of gospel preaching in our country. Dare I say it, even among a lot of independent fundamental Baptists and a lot of Southern Baptists and a lot of Presbyterians, a lot of Church of God, a lot of Church of Christ, a lot of Pentecostals, doing everything other than preaching Christ. We strut our stuff across the stage. We want somebody to brag on us and lift us up. And Paul had had his fill of that. He said, I've come not with enticing words. I'm lifting Christ up to you. And if that doesn't do it, nothing will do it. 
You know why a lot of people can't see Christ? They're blinded by the things of this world. They have everything in their eyes other than Christ. Paul says, verse 4, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but it was in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? Verse 5, That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That will help you if you'll listen to it tonight. I've seen people that put so much confidence in the man that was preaching when they came to Christ that when he fell, they thought maybe they were not saved at all. Just the messenger, remember? Just the messenger. Don't fall in love with the mailman just because he brings a gift in the box. Don't get mad at him and want to shoot him when he brings a bill either. He's just delivering the mail. He's just doing the job. That's all he's doing. He's just, he's just doing that. And that's what preachers are. Are messengers. Paul says, Howbeit in verse 6, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, those that are spiritually whole. Who hears the wisdom of the Word of God? I'll tell you who hears it. Saved people. They hear with a spiritual ear. I'll never forget a fellow that, that came by me at a church years ago. As far as I know, I never saw the fellow before nor since. It was a meeting kind of like this, and I was standing at the door afterwards, and he came out, and he gripped my hand, and he looked me dead in the eye, and he said, Preacher, the truth just has a certain ring to it. I never forgot that. You know truth when you hear it if you're a child of God. You know truth. It resounds in your heart. It, 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 it strikes a chord. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not a musician. Brother Case handles that. But I know that a lot of times the old tuners, you remember they used to strike that thing, strike that chord, and they would start on, they'd find out where they were at. And, and, and I, I have been told uh, that, that you can take a variety of instruments and tune them all alike and then get them together in there in harmony. Why is the church so discordant? Why is it that we're not striking the same note? Why is it that we're out of key? It's because we're trying to tune to the wrong stuff. You, you don't tune to a half a dozen different things. You tune to the one tuning fork. And if all of the instruments tune to the one tuning fork, then when the choir begins and when the symphony starts, everything will be right. If we could get tuned back in to Christ, if we could fall in love with Him as much as we fall in love with our denomination, if we could fall in love with our Lord as much as we fall in love sometimes with our little group or our little thing or our little pet deal, and if we could be so engrossed in Christ as we are in some of our things we hold to, we'd start getting tuned up and the symphony of God's people would again begin to leave some music in this world that would call a vast host to the cross of Calvary. Amen. 
not the wisdom of this world, the middle clause of verse 6, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained when? Don't be afraid of that. When did He do it? Before the world, unto our glory. A God that's not in charge is not God. You know that. I don't understand much of God. I have to tell you, if I, if I could understand Him, He wouldn't be much. If I could write Him out on a chalkboard for you, if I could look at Him in a test tube under a microscope and figure Him out, He wouldn't be much, but He's not that kind of a God. And He says, it's a mystery, the hidden wisdom that God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why did they crucify the Lord of glory? Ignorance and unbelief. They wouldn't believe that He was God in the flesh. Do you think that anybody would have been dumb enough if they had a thought that this man Jesus was God in the flesh, would anybody have been dumb enough to have laid him down and driven nails through his hands and feet? Would they have been stupid enough to have put a crown of thorns on his brow? Would they have been dumb enough to have taken a cat of nine tails and beat him until he didn't look like a human anymore? They didn't believe he was who he said that he was. Do you? Do you believe tonight that Jesus Christ could come tonight? Lots of folks don't believe that anymore. It's become a fairy tale. That's old wives stuff. That's old hat. It, it, we, we tell on ourselves when, when, you know, we see this a lot now and it's kind of fading off the scene because one fad leaves and another one comes along. This thing of only God can judge me and that doesn't terrify you? If you can mumble that junk to me and do it in an arrogant atmosphere and an arrogant spirit, I can tell you you're dumb. Now, I don't mean that in a hateful way. I don't mean it in an uncompassionate way. But I'm telling you, God, only God can judge me. The holy God of heaven. The righteous God of the Bible. And we say only God can judge. Yeah, and he will. Oh, I'm glad, Brother Case, I found a hiding place. I'm glad I won't be in that number crying out for the rocks to fall and the mountains to come down and cover them under the face of the one that sits on the throne. That'll be the day when the world will turn in belief and say he was right all along. All of those ignoramuses that we've scoffed at down through the ages, they were right all along. There is a God in heaven and he is coming back to rule and reign. But it'll be too late in that hour. It'll be too late then for them to cry out for repentance. He said if they'd known, if they'd known who he was, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9, but as it is written. Now, you know, I, the Lord's helped me with something, I believe, while I was studying this. Now, I, I've always read this verse as, as things to come. But I, I don't believe that's primarily what he's saying now. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And, and most of the time we think, well, you know, that's, that's eternity, that's heaven, that's all the things that he said. But I think that's here and now. He says, 
the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. So he says God hath prepared in verse 9 and then in verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us, how? By his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now, real quickly, and I'm trying to wrap this all up. You know, man can have a dog, and a dog can enjoy its food, a dog can drink its water, but a dog cannot enjoy its master's music and literature and art. Dog doesn't have that ability. In order for a dog to do that, it'd have to be lifted up to the plane of humanity. A dog would have to have a spirit in him like a human spirit, the part of us that really makes us who we are. An unregenerate soul, a soul that does not know Christ, cannot discern the things of God any more than a dog can enjoy his master's music or art or literature. We are dead, the Bible says, in our sin. We are dead. Go down to the morgue and sing to a dead person. See how much applause you get. Pull one of the slabs out. Tell them the funniest joke you know and wait for a chuckle. It ain't coming. They're dead. There's no life. The absence of life is death. Spiritually tonight, are you alive or dead? Now listen. If all of this stuff tonight, you're here and you're saying, well, you know, I'm here bodily, but I'm here because I'm expected to be, or maybe somebody even, maybe you're a youngster and you say, I'm here because I have to be, but I'll ask you, if you have no appetite whatsoever tonight for spiritual things, that's a sure sign that you're spiritually dead. I don't care how many times a week you come to church. I don't care how many times you've come to an altar and prayed. I don't care how many times that you sing the songs. I don't care how well respected you are in your classroom. I don't care if you're a grade A student. If you have no appetite for spiritual truth, you're spiritually dead. You cannot have any appetite for God until God gives you life. That's the new birth. And a natural man has no design or desire for the spiritual things of God. He cannot. And Paul is very clear on this. He says, verse 11 again, What man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man that's in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Have you a child of God who lives inside you? The spirit of God. And he's the one who makes this book come alive. See, a, a man or a woman could study literature. They, they could be a great linguist. They could, they could know all about religions. And they, could, they, they could know all about philosophy and all of that. And they could read the Bible from cover to cover. And they could research it. And they could find out who wrote this and where this city is and where this prophet came from and the line that he descended from. But the scriptures will never make any real sense to them until they experience the new birth. That's why we read this book, and it doesn't matter how many times you've read it, you go back over a passage and it'll just jump out and grab you. (laughs) Something that you read last year, 10 years ago, and you've read it over and over again, and then one day you're reading and it's just like the word just grabs you and says, look at that. 
Look at that. And all of a sudden it reaches inside of you, Mike Corser, and it does something for you. It blesses you or it convicts you or it changes you. That's the Spirit of God working. It's not your intellect. It's not because you're so bright and so brilliant that you have deciphered some spiritual truth. It's because living within you is the Holy Ghost of God. And He discerns the spiritual things of God. He gives you understanding. He gives you light. That's why you'll never intellectually win an argument with a lost person and bring them to Christ. Now, we, that doesn't mean that we give up. We do the best we can. We present our case. We should present our case. But all the while we're presenting our case, we ought to realize that I do not have the ability to win this. If they ever see the light, the Spirit of God's got to turn the switch on. You say, I don't know whether I believe that or not. Well, how do you pray for a lost person? You pray that they'll get good enough to go to heaven? How do you pray for your lost family? How do you pray for your lost friends? Don't you say, Lord, save them. Lord, convict them. You're asking God to do something that only God can do. And so Paul says in verse 12, Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Inspiration is how the Bible came. Revelation is what the Bible is. Inspiration is how the Bible came. Revelation is what the Bible is. The inspiration is, is the inflow. The revelation is the outflow. God has given us his word. He's inspired the thoughts of men and they pinned it down, and he's given us an inspired word of God. And so we have that by divine revelation. We have that by the hand of God, inspiration that becomes revelation. But the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. In verse 15, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. Now quickly, he's not talking about sitting in judgment on people. He says that a human being that's a child of God tonight is an enigma to this world. They, in other words, it's a mystery. A, a child of God is as much a mystery to the unsaved soul as the Word of God is a mystery because who inspired the Bible? The Holy Spirit, you agree with that? Who lives within you as a child of God? Holy Spirit, same one that inspired the Word. So when the unsaved, unregenerate heart or mind looks at the Word of God, they see a book, they know it's something, they know it's different, but it doesn't make any sense to them. When they look on the same thing in the child of God's life, same way, they say, you don't make any sense to me. You're odd. You're peculiar. I certainly hope so. The Bible says we're to be a peculiar people. Now we could all dress in, we could all dress in uh, fluorescent orange jumpsuits, and we'd be peculiar, wouldn't we? If we all, Pastor White gets up Sunday and says, "Hey, it's a rule now. Everybody goes to Fellowship Baptist Church got to wear fluorescent orange from now on, rest of your life." It wouldn't be long people would be saying, "That's a peculiar bunch over there," but that doesn't make you spiritually peculiar. Do you see the difference? But listen, 
you, you can put on the clothes that, that you wear every day and you go out to work and you're dressed in your work uniform and you're over there and you look like everybody else in that plant, but not on the inside. And what's happened to you on the inside will work its way out to the outside and the way you think and the way you act and the way you talk and the way you conduct yourself will cause the unsaved soul to say, you're peculiar. Not because of the way you look, just something peculiar about you. And they can't figure that out because we're an enigma. We're, we're as much an enigma to them as the Bible is because the same Holy Spirit is in operation there. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. In other words, no, no man can discern. An unsaved man can't discern what's going on in the life of the child of God. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now I want to preach on that, but I can't do it tonight. But we have the mind of Christ. And, and, and that does not mean that we have the magnitude of understanding and we have everything that Christ has intellectually. But it means a child of God operates the way Jesus operated. Do you know how Jesus operated? He had one thing in view, all of his earthly pilgrimage, and that was to do the Father's will. To do the Father's will. It's very easy for us, church, to get our own agenda ahead of God's. It's very easy, very easy for us to think, you know, I can do this. You know, the little train story. Little train, in, little engine that could. Remember that? Think it can, I think it can, I think it can. He wanted to get over the hill like all the other big engines. I think it can, I think it can, I think it can. The problem is, the Christian life is not lived by positive thinking. And that's something we need to get out of our, we, we need to get that out of our thought processes tonight. You don't, you don't see progress in the Christian life just by trying harder and promising God more that you're going to do better. Take it from somebody that's been there and done that. I've gone down front, Brother Case, countless times as a younger man and prayed and asked the Lord to forgive me and God to help me and God to give me strength and God to get me through. Get me over this, Lord. Deliver me, Lord, from this. And I meant it, I meant it, I'd pray and I'd ask God to help me and I'd get up and I'd go back and I'd feel good for a while, it wouldn't be long. The same old, same old tempter was out there, the same old problem. You know what, finally, after years of that, I had to come to the realization that I could promise God from now till Jesus comes or until I die and in my old nature, I can't do it. I had to say finally, Lord, I can't do it. I'll never be able to do it. I'll never be able to live the Christian life in perfection. I'll never be able to do what a Christian is supposed to do, Lord. You're going to have to do it for me. And God said, I always said I would do that for you. I don't think I can, Lord. He said, I never said you could. You can't do it, Kaufman. You've tried too many times. How many times are you going to fall on your face until you finally admit you can't do it? And I said, Lord, I can't. He said, I know you can't but I can. And I said, Lord, would you? Well, I always said I would. Some of you need to quit trying to live the Christian life in your own power tonight. Amen. And just say, Lord, I've promised you the moon too many times and I've not ever been able to deliver it. I told you too many times, Lord, that I was going to do thus and so and I've, I've proven that I can't do it. And so I'm coming tonight and I'm saying, Lord, if it ever gets done, you're going to have to do it. The mind of Christ, he wanted the Father's will above everything. 
Do you have any desire tonight for the Father's will? If you don't, you don't have the mind of Christ. And if you don't have the mind of Christ, you're not His. And if you're not His, that's a terrifying thought. Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you tonight, Lord, for your help. Thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know us, everything about us, and you still love us. Father, deliver us again tonight from the snare of the fear of man. Deliver us, Lord, from ourselves. Deliver us tonight, Father, from thinking that we are somebody. Deliver us, Father, from Corinthian thinking. Deliver us, Lord, from thinking that we can intellectually win the argument and win the soul. Help us, Lord, to recognize that this world will never accept us. They'll never love us for who we are in Christ. We'll always be pilgrims and strangers here. We'll always, Lord, be making our way through this low ground of sin until you deliver us, either by death or coming in the air for us. Thank you tonight, Lord, for this church. Thank you for this congregation. I pray, Father, that everything that's been said tonight has been said in the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit, and that you will use it, Lord, for your glory, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.